Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology, consulting, and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome everybody to the first ever episode of the Mac Moment from the Get Found, Get Funded network of uh, podcasts. Today, we are talking about entrepreneurship and media with our special guest, Trevor Price the principal of the Outlook Company, a media company dealing in IP, TV, film, interactive, and music. Trevor Price is a former National Football League defensive end and author who played for 14 seasons, a four-time Pro Bowler, a three-time All-Pro, and two-time Super Bowl champion. After spending 14 years as a defensive end for the Denver Broncos, my beloved Baltimore Ravens, and the New York Jets, in 2013, Price began a second career as a professional writer, publishing the first of his young adult series, Kulapari, Army of Frogs. In 2015, just two years later, Netflix announced they would be adopting the series into an original animated series, Kulapari, An Army of Frogs, which aired in the summer of 2016. In June of 2016, it was announced that Price was writing a sequel comic, and this year, and recently this year, the anime series was picked up for a second season. So I want to thank you, Trevor. It's an honor to have you on here as my very first guest. I really, truly appreciate it, sir. No, no problem, man. Uh, that was a pretty thorough, in a, <laughs> a thorough intro. So I was like, oh, I did all that. I have done all that. Interesting. You've done a lot. Uh, and I think you've done a lot more than what most people would know or think about you. You know, when people think about Trevor Price, the first thing they think about is, you know, the football side, you know, the Super Bowl and the sacks. And, you know, in the words of Stu Gatz from the Dan Lebitar show with Stu Gatz on ESPN, the borderline Hall of Famer. He's kind of a jerk for saying that, right? Uh, funny you watch that show. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's, it's – um, I, I tell people sometimes my life has been a series of saying yes to everything I'm asked. Hey, Trev, you want to go to the yes? Hey, Trev, we're going out here. You want a yes? Hey, Trev, you, you know what I mean? So if you say yes to everything, you run, you're bound to run into something interesting. So really? I guess that's been my um, that's been my uh, my calling, you know? What, what got you to adopt that mantra? You know, for a lot of people, it's hard to say yes. You know, when people come up with crazy ideas, a lot of people like to back away. What makes you lean into that kind of stuff? <laughs> No, it's not the. I didn't say yes to all the ideas. I said yes to all the invitations. Ah. You know what I mean? All the doors that are open. As an athlete, you meet a lot of people if you say yes to things, even if you don't. Even if you don't enjoy it, but you have to kind of try everything. I, I have, I have often said, um, 
if, if, if say if, a Hollywood executive, right? The way a Hollywood keeps his job is by saying no all the time, because you can't lose your job if you pass on something. You only lose your job if you bought something and it failed. Um, but now that the world is running on multiples of content, you kind of have to say yes to everything. Um, so I think the Netflixes and Hulus of the world have adopted kind of the way I think of looking, kind of looking almost at everything. But now I kind of now I have to be a little more selective with my time now that I got a lot of stuff to do. Well, you kind of big time in these days. <laughs> so, yeah, big time a lot. I big time a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate you being here now, big time with me, man. So I noticed you call yourself a creator. What does that mean to you? Like, what does that title mean? Um, I think I think the, the the easiest thing, the easiest way is the easiest way to explain it is I, I try to come up with an original thought, right? The, um, when people ask how was I able to get to get this stuff, all this stuff made, it's, it was pretty simple. As a pro athlete, you could pretty much call anybody or get yourself into the door of anywhere you want to get into if you're a professional athlete. And that's what I tell these guys that play. I say, look, the day you're drafted, start thinking about the day you're going to stop. You know what I mean? Start figuring out what you're going to do and during those off-seasons. Start having a plan and start laying a foundation because if you say to yourself, if you say something like crazy, I want to make a rap record. Call the president of Universal Records. Believe me, he will pick up the phone. He will pick up the phone now. When he picks it up, you better have something intelligent to say. Because you won't pick it up twice. And so I learned that lesson very quickly. And I make sure I make sure if I call the president of Sony or the chairman of Warner Brothers, I have something intelligent to say in the line so I'm not wasting his time. So he picks up the phone the second time I call next year. And that's how, I, that's how I've cultivated our relationships. So to me, being a creator means you have an original thought that somebody who has heard a lot of original thoughts will find original. That's kind of deep. Somebody who has original thoughts that can talk to people who have heard a lot of original thoughts that they find there original. You go. That sounds yeah, a lot like the investing world. I have a lot of people come to me with amazing ideas, and I hear amazing ideas every day. Until I hear one that's actually amazing, and then I get excited. <laughs> there, you, there you go. <laughs> Everybody has an amazing idea until you actually heard one of the amazing. I was I'm working on a uh, on a show for Disney, um, and the guy that runs that used to run at least up until yesterday used to run that part of the company. I wrote something in my script, and he was like, "You have no many. T- you have no. You have no idea how many times I've seen that joke." He said, you don't have the privilege of seeing all these scripts and ideas that come through here. He said, but that has been used a billion times. And I, and I kind of just stopped and I went, yeah, because that wasn't an original thought. Sometimes an original thought um, is, not, is not what should go in that space, but at least it's something they haven't seen. And if, and if you bring an idea or an idea for a business or idea for a show or idea for a sport or something and a person you're you're pitching it to or talking to has never seen it that is 70 percent of the battle the other 30 percent is their opinion but if the if the person you're trying to sell your idea to or yourself to says i've never seen that you've done your job the rest of it is their job what you just mentioned right there is so like 
thought-provoking for me because I can't tell you how often I have somebody come to me with an app that helps you schedule going to the barbershop. Ah, <laughs> oh, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. And I, and uh, like, great. How often they come to me, and then I'll be like, so what makes you different? And they'd be like, because I'm of the culture. And I'm like, well, every black person who knows how to cold or for lick of salt has probably showed me an app that does the same thing, so how are you different? And then they just look at me. They're like, well, well can you give me some examples? And then I give them like 25 examples, and they just, they just stare at me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and, and you know, I, I don't, I don't cut like if I need a haircut, I cut it all off or I just let it grow. So I don't need that. But I think some of it is, a, a lot of it, man, <laughs> is what do we need? Like, what more do we need? And trust me, we don't need all that much more um, because you know, as much as I, as much as I like to think that I have some brains, I cannot come up with an app that somebody needs. I really can't, and I've tried. I sat down for like two weeks, and I was like, I'm going to try to come up with something that doesn't exist. And I just came up with, with different versions of Facebook and different versions of Twitter, and it just, it, it just doesn't. And, and the thing is, I'm not the most technologically advanced person on the planet. So, so being that connected to people is not my thing at all. So therefore, I don't have, I don't have a... Um, a future in that kind of, you know, communication, social networking thing. So I don't, I don't even try. Like, like I'm on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. I'm on Twitter because it's funny. You know what I mean? That's 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 the way to go. At least you know where your skill set starts and stops. You know where your strengths are and you stick to it. Which more people would do that? Yeah. True. So as a creator, do you view yourself as an entrepreneur? You know, you, you've made all these projects, but you're essentially running, you know, business. But do you ever view yourself that way? Um, no, I, because none of the businesses have made like a whole bunch of money. Um, but I know that day's coming. If you're, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, then you're on the wrong. If you're doing what I do and you call yourself an entrepreneur, you're probably not very good at your job because it has to be I'm making something creative and needed and something that is authentic first. The business will come later. But if you're looking at it from a business standpoint, like, oh, I want to be in the movie business, you're, you're probably very bad at it, just to be quite honest. So yeah, I don't think business and art can mix. Business the art of commerce, right? And mix, but in very few instances does it mix very well. And 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 if they are, if they have mixed and done well, it's because the art was art. The art was great. Like Marvel is a Marvel is a commerce thing. It is a business. It is a multi-billion heading towards a trillion-dollar business. But it's like that because of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby doing great creative in the 1960s so uh, you, you kind of have to pick one or the other and they will lead they will eventually run into each other if you're successful that's what i believe dope so then this, this goes right perfectly into the next question of as a creator you have found a way to do to do what many aspire to do you've turned your passion into profit and you've been doing it for a long time 
in 2005, you licensed a song to 20th Century Fox to use in the movie Big Mama's House 2. And then in 2008, you sold the movie idea to Sony Pictures. What were those early, those early days like when you started to make money for your creations, even while you were still playing football? Like, that's the most amazing thing. You're like an all-star football player during this time, and you're over here making music and writing scripts and selling them to major studios. What was that like? Um, it was At that point, it was easier than, than you think. The problem is the check for sell, selling a script to Sony is not the check you get for playing it cheap. It's a very different check. It's a very small check, comparatively, right? Okay. And um, what I was doing was this was a hobby. It wasn't – I didn't see it as a, as a viable business. Um, but it was also during the off-season. So every, every professional athlete has, you know, somewhere around six months off a year. And those six months, you can get a lot done if you, if you focus, right? And – and a professional athlete's mind and body and kind of spirit says I have to be busy. You know what I mean? And after you're done working out from 8 to 11, what do you do the rest of your day? So I decided to jump into this. Plus I'm, a, I'm a naturally curious person, and I love entertainment. I love music, and I love movies, and I love TV shows. But more important, I love being creative. So I love making it more than I love consuming it. You know what I mean? Could I do something? Could I do something better than somebody else, rather than um, than it being about? See, it, but, oh, I want to go see the new movie. No, I want to write my own version of that new movie. You know what I mean? So that's and it, and it was a part of a competitive spirit in me as well. Like, how competitive do I have to be? How do I get my competitive juices going during the off season? And it was to try to write a better script than. Spielberg, which I did not accomplish. Well, that's amazing the way you challenge you, you channeled that competitiveness. You know, a lot of people when they leave a sport, they, they, they try to find outlets, and sometimes those outlets are destructive, or sometimes those outlets just go to another sport. You literally poured your competitiveness into being a creative and wanting to be the next George Lucas, right? Like that's that's an amazing way to think about it. So, like, for you, at what point did you start to think this way? You know, you, you go through high school, you go through college, you get to the pros, you, you're playing football, your whole life is revolving around football. At what point did you start to think about, oh, I need to think about these other things, you know, I want to have these other hobbies. You know, I don't want to be defined as just a football player. What was, what was that for you? Like, when did that start to be a thing, or was that always a thing for you? It was always the same because I used to try to make like beat tapes when I was a kid. I tried to, I tried to write a script in college. I'll never forget it. I, I saw, I think I saw, I think I saw Pulp Fiction or something like that, and I decided I was gonna write a movie. And I had never seen a movie script, so I like somebody had one laying around, and I started writing a script, and I'll never forget it. it was called Dry November, and I have no idea what it was about. It was, it was kind of like a, a, a Tarantino esque type of thing. I think I got like four pages in, and I was like, a hundred more pages? I can't do this. So I didn't, I didn't finish it. But I've always had a creative drive in me of seeing seeing the world. Like, I love architecture, right? I have a, I have a way of seeing the world in, in, in shapes and process rather than enjoying it. 
You know what I mean? How was that made? You know, even like automobiles. It's like I love I love deconstruction that deconstructing that type of thing. And I can tell you how things are made rather than kind of enjoying them. You know, so that's always been a part of my personality. And I, you know, it's a I guess it's a blessing and a curse because the blessing because I'm always chasing that. It's a curse because I can't just enjoy something without saying. Not, not without critique. I don't critique anything, but I know how they did it, and that kind of ruins the way the sausage tastes. I know, I know how it was. I know how it was made. You know what I mean? Like you listen to music, I, like I know how those songs are made. I, I know, I know what programs they're using, and I know the process of making those records rather than enjoying them. And my wife is like, "How do they make that sound?" And I'm like, "In a computer with a key, you just hit the button and it makes that sound." not that difficult you know what i mean so part of it is um I, I, every time I, I say it a lot i say this is this is not that hard you know it ain't rocket science you know what i mean making making pop records is not hard making a good one is is a is a is a um it's a more luck than anything else because everybody using this everybody's using the same thing there are no more secrets right nobody can play an instrument you don't have to be able to play instrument. If you can, if you know four chords in a piano, you can write Taylor Swift records. You know what I mean? Um, and making a movie is not writing a movie is a little more difficult because you have to write something that keeps somebody's attention for an hour and a half. Um, but you, if you have enough kind of trailer moments, they'll 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 you know tune in for a little bit. So anyway, um, I always have this thing inside of me that says. Oh, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. And I think that's, that's driven me a lot. I can definitely appreciate that. You know, it's always weird when you're like an insider of any kind of industry, like you know how things happen. Like, you know, as an investor, like I'll see these articles about companies raising money or companies getting these customers and people are like, oh man, those are ever, they're overnight success. I've never heard of them. And I'm just like, yeah, they've been grinding for the last six years and they're just finally starting to take off. And you're now just hearing about right. them. Like, there's so much that happens in the background, and it ain't as glamorous as you think it is. Like, it ain't as fun or ain't as happy-go-lucky. Like, it's very methodical and process-driven and a lot of time and stuff. It ain't, ain't the cool, happy stuff you see in these articles. And it just makes you feel a little jaded sometimes. Yeah, a little bit. You know, but still, I, you know, I enjoy a Marvel movie just like the next one. But I, but I am very cognizant of the fact that the, the Thanos snap was written by somebody, <laughs> you know. What I mean, right. and it was like, it was like this is not a big deal because somebody in a room thought about that. And, and and when my son wants to, my son wants to debate the Thanos snap in the Marvel movies, and and there's all these there's all these conspiracy theories of what's going to happen. I'm like, somebody made this up in a computer. <laughs> somebody made this up. They believe me. They know what's going to happen. Some, this is not a it's not a big deal. This was somebody. In, in a in a in a room in in a house in Brentwood, typing on a computer, going, "Ooh, you know what'd be cool?" <laughs> right? There's no there's no conspiracy theory. We're making a big deal, made a mountain out of a molehill. Just wait for whatever comes out next. It was written by some guy that was, you know, he he he, play, he, he plays pickup basketball at the, at the local at the local gym, and he he wrote the Thanos snap, and all of a sudden. Uh, what is Marvel doing next? Marvel's doing whatever the hell he put on his computer. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Yes. 
that's a great way to put it. It makes it, it kind of humanizes things like there's nothing special here. You could go do it too. You just have to put it in the time and nothing special about it. What's special about it is they spent three hundred million dollars making it. The process of making it is a coordinated army. And that is special. Like that is that is a lot of people and a lot of money and a lot of coordination to get that thing to look and behave the way it does. Um, however, it was written on a piece of paper. It started as black and white paper. And so let's not let's not lose sight of that. I love that. And that that's perfect because, you know, in two thousand thirteen you published your hit young adult series, Cool Apari, an Army of Frogs that then got turned into this Netflix children's series and it's currently on the second season, right? So what was that process like for you going from this idea to having it published and, you know, garnering all this interest to then turning it into a kid's show on Netflix? What's that process like for you? Uh, it was, it's, it's long because you don't, you don't realize how, how long animation takes. And another thing you don't realize is once they draw it, you can't redraw it. It's not like it's not like shooting a shooting with a real person in a camera and they do it one way, you turn around and say, Let's do it a second one. Let's do it ten different ways and we'll pick the best one. No, in animation you get one way. And then you get it back, that's the way that's the way it was and you just go you just go, I'm not sure I want it that way. Well this is the way you got it because you can't draw it again. So it's 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 a finality that that I wasn't quite prepared for because there were things I wanted to change and there was no money left in the budget to change said things. But it came out it came out it came out good. It came out good enough that they ordered a second one. So I was happy about that. Um so I'm, I'm uh, you know I am now uh animation guy and I can I can make a TV show standing on my head an animated one. I know what the process is, I know what it looks like, I know how to do it. And uh, the second season I wrote by myself, um, so I, I know what this thing takes. And so you you said something really interesting there. You mentioned the budget. <laughs> there wasn't anything left in the budget. You know, when you're building these, when you're coming up with these projects, they need funding, right? So, you know, as a former athlete who has access to all these folks, how do you go about getting your project funded? You know, do you do like startup entrepreneurs and go and pitch to a bunch of investors or do you put the money up yourself and bootstrap it? Or do you get like, you know, um, an artist and they give you an advance and you go do your project like that? Like, how do you go about getting your stuff funded? Um, it's, a, it's different for everybody. I, uh, this person, I started paying for myself. Uh, and then another production company came on and finished it. Um, but you have to kind of, if, if, if people keep saying no, you have to say yes. And you have to figure it out. You just have to figure it out. I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if your idea, uh, whether it's an entrepreneur or TV or music, if your idea costs $5 million to do out the gate, then you don't have an idea. You know what I mean, your idea is only as good as your as your bank account. Whatever's in your bank account, that's how much your idea should cost. And you need to tailor it to that. Um, so, so that that's kind of how I did it, and um, it attracted some people. And now we're raising money for a third version of Kalapari. Um After season two comes out, I think 
people will come out the woodwork because I'm doing something pretty different with it after this. And so what does that process look like for you? Because, you know, a lot of our fans from the Get Found, Get Funded Network are startup entrepreneurs, and, you know, we do a lot of talk about pitching and getting in front of investors and what that looks like. But for you, building this media company, what does that look like of raising capital to, to, to bring these to life? Uh, I have not raised any capital. That's the thing. I have not, I have not done any. I, I pitched to one group um, in Baltimore, and 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 I think the thing is you have to kind of read the room. If you're in, if you're pitching Hollywood stuff in Baltimore, it kind of doesn't work, right? Because because what this is part of the DMV, and the DMV is um, lots of security and you know a, a whole lot of <laughs> spyware, malware programs, <laughs> like you know cybersecurity. I'm like, just buy an Apple computer. All your problems solved. Like, why, why, like, why, why does this thing exist? But it's a, it's a multiple billion dollar industry of cybersecurity. And I've never had any problems. And I, I just have Mac computers all through my life. Everybody in my, in my family has Apple computers. Stop buying PCs and a cybersecurity uh, thing will stop existing. You know, right? So anyway, so, you know, I'm, I'm talking to these people in this room in Baltimore about, what media is and the value of creating and owning original IP and they just didn't get it. They just don't get it. So I think the process for me has not been a great one because I live here. Um, I am eventually moving to LA and I'll be able to throw a rock and hit 20 investors. That's just the way it is, man. But again, if you're in LA and you're doing cybersecurity, nobody in LA understands that. They just don't understand that. It's like, we don't use Apple computers and we write scripts in Starbucks. Nobody... Please steal, please steal my script. Please, <laughs> right? If you're a studio, please hack into my computer. But it's you know, you, you just have to know where you're going and know um, who your audience is. And I, I thought I'll be able to convince people that have never seen this type of thing, convince them to say yes, and I couldn't, which was interesting. Yeah. So I, I actually have you know direct knowledge about the group that you're speaking about and you're right this is something that entrepreneurs run into all the time where they go to pitch to an investor but they don't know what that investor's into or or, or what they do sometimes and then they're confused well you know i thought i had all the right things but it seemed like they just didn't get it especially um, no i i knew i knew what i was getting into i know you did i i just no because it was it was Edit and that type of thing, and people are excited about it, but they just didn't understand what I was saying to them. And and what in Hollywood, if if, if I give you enough money for ten percent of the movie, I own ten percent of the movie, and they just didn't they just didn't understand that process because everything else they've done has been about you know uh, Series A and <laughs> that type of thing. If you if you if you go to Sony Pictures. And they have a movie fund, a slate that costs $10, and you give them a dollar, and you say Series A, they'll be like, what are you talking about? You gave us a dollar, you own 10% of the, of the slate. And, and the group I was talking to just didn't, they couldn't wrap their heads around that. So, so it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, they all liked it, I guess. I don't know, well, one guy did, he invested. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I think, I think 
two two years from now, <laughs> they're all going <laughs> to kick themselves. But that is what that is, you know. Yeah, I got to tell you, when I first heard about what you were doing and the investment you were looking for, as somebody who does invest in, but specifically in tech, I wasn't sure what you were doing. Then you sat down and you broke it down to me. I was like, oh, this feels like a no-brainer. Yeah, so to one guy, I did. He was like, I don't know what the hell they're thinking about, but he said, I know how much Marvel's worth, and I know, I know what this stuff I know what this stuff is worth. I know what original IP, um, I know what original IP and kids and boys entertainment is worth because unlike cybersecurity, this does not have a shelf life. It just keeps going and going and going. And every 10 years, it is new eight-year-olds every three minutes. The cycle of eight-year-olds, I think, is six years at a time. There's a study that, like, Disney did. And you have a new set of eight-year-olds every six years. I don't know how they figured it out, but it's every six years you have a new crop of them. So every six years, if you think about it, Fall Entertainment, every six years everything's rebooted for a new version of eight-year-old boys slash girls. And that's what, and that's what I couldn't get across to people. Uh, but funny enough, I'm going to San Francisco in October to meet with two of the biggest VC firms in the country who don't do media, but they understand what I'm trying to do. That's dope. And I have to guess that that's one of those advantages of being a former athlete, being able to... Not anymore. No, it's the advantage of having a show on Netflix. Oh. This is that's from it. leveraging Netflix. It's, it's, a le- it's leveraging because, um, because as much content as Netflix does, what I try to explain to the group in Baltimore as well is Netflix sees everything in Hollywood first. So if you see a show that is on CBS that's not on Netflix, Netflix passed on it. Mm. That's, that's just the truth. If you see some, the only thing Netflix did not pass on that they want is Game of Thrones. Everything else they passed on. Everything else they were like, yeah, no thanks. That's just how big. That's how big they are. And and when they buy two seasons of Kilapari, um, they're doing that based on data. So the data t- has told them that they should buy more of this. You know what I mean? And they did. There's, That's the way it works. There are so many parallels here because, you know, when I talk to companies and they want to know, like, how do I go about raising funding, I'm raising money, and, you know, all these other things. I'm like, well, if you come to us with all, with all the numbers, showing us how many people are using your product, raising money becomes real easy. Like, when the data marries along with, you know, what you're doing, all the other stuff, you know, comes a lot quicker and easier than you thought it would. So I'm guessing if you got the right viewership, people start coming to you. Yeah, and that's the thing about Netflix is they don't tell anybody viewership. And I, and I kind of know why they don't. They don't because um, around the world, Netflix is a pinprick. So in America, when Netflix says they have 800 billion viewers, 799 billion of them are in America. And they're touting themselves as a worldwide platform, but that's not really true. That's not really a fact. That's not really fact. Um, so they don't tell us the numbers. What they do tell you is if your show on Netflix has been renewed, that means the data has told us to renew it. So whatever that number is, it's big enough that they're willing to spend more money on it. 
And so that's the big that's the big thing. If they don't renew it, that means nobody watched it. Or at least not enough people watched it. So when you were waiting to hear back from Netflix to find out if you got that second season, were you sweating bullets or were you, you confident you kind of knew it was coming? All right, well, it came. They, they did it in, I want to say, like four weeks after. So I was pretty Ooh. confident. There, there wasn't a lot of uh, kids' content, a kids' original content on there. So I was, I was not sweating bullets at all. Because even if, even if they didn't, um, even if they didn't uh, renew it, somebody else would have. You know, we would have gotten it for uh, somebody else would have said yes. You knew you were getting to a yes. I respect it. Yeah, you know because it, it, look, content is content. Good content finds a way, and Kulapari, you know, poisonous frogs fighting scorpions. Again, original thought that no one else has ever had. I've never heard of that. You know what I mean? So, um, that was easy. Hello. Yeah, yeah. I thought we lost you for a second. Um, no, no, no. Obviously, that is an original thought. I've, I've never heard of that, and if I was an eight-year-old boy, I'd probably be all about it. Yeah, uh, and you know what? Funny enough. Uh, eight-year-old boy is not the audience. I thought it was. It was a lot older than that. It was like 16, 17-year-old boys, <laughs> which is interesting. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, I put out a comic book, and comic books are not bought by eight-year-old boys. Right. We sold a lot of comic books, like a lot. Um, more than we should have. And so and so that wasn't, that wasn't being bought by eight-year-old boys. That was being bought by... People that were at Comic Cons um, and love that kind of that geek culture. Right. Now, when you cross over, you cross over the eight-year-old boys. But when you when you first come out, the the, the underground or the first wave is the geek audience, and then the young kids will find it. So we'll see what happens. That makes sense. Well, then I got one last question for you before we let you go. What advice would you give to a young person out there who plays a sport but has other passions that they want to pursue as well? You can do both, man. It's not, um, it's not that difficult to do both. You know, if you have a computer, if you, if you have a coach, you can be good at sports. If you have grass and sneakers, you can be good at sports. If you have a computer, you can be good at everything else. You can find time to do both, you know, and, and with the world shrinking the way it has with social media and access to information, you can figure it out whether or not you want to be a creator and create media, whether or not you want to be a cook. You can do both. And, if you, and, and really, if you're not doing both, um, you're missing on a great opportunity. Thank you so much. I truly, 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 truly appreciate having you on. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Make sure you check out the website, getfoundgetfunded.com. Sign up for our newsletter and check, out, check us out on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, of course, listen to us every month. And make sure you don't miss an episode.